Could family genetics be a reason that no matter what we try, we still can't lose the fat and inches from our problem areas? To learn more, we spoke to Dr. Brian Strand from Sonobello. While some people can eat everything and stay thin, others diet and exercise daily and still pack on fat and inches to their problem areas. It's not your fault. It can be genetics. If you struggle to lose the fat from your tummy, love handles, thighs, and back, you're likely battling your family genetics. The good news is we have an answer. Sonobello uses a remarkable technique called microlaser fat removal. In one comfortable visit, the fat in your hardest places to lose is gone permanently. Stop wrestling with your family genes and lose the fat permanently. And right now, you can save $250. The results are life-changing. Do this for you. Don't wait. Visit sonobello.com slash save. Sonobello.com slash save. Sonobello.com slash save. Every three seconds, there's a new victim of identity theft. A criminal could be applying for loans in your name or even selling your personal info on the dark web. Protecting your identity can be easy with LifeLock by Norton. LifeLock monitors your info and alerts you to potential identity threats. No one can prevent all identity theft or monitor all transactions at all businesses. But with LifeLock, it's easy to help protect yourself. Save up to 25% off your first year at LifeLock.com aware. Welcome to Mission Evolution Radio Show with Gwilda Wiaka. Bringing together today's leading experts to uncover ever-deepening spiritual truths and the latest scientific developments in support of the evolution of humankind. For more information on Mission Evolution Radio with Gwilda Wiaka, visit www.missionevolution.org. And now, here's the host of Mission Evolution, Miss Gwilda Wiaka. Hello, my visionary friends. Thank you for joining us on another exciting adventure into future possibilities. This is Mission Evolution, where we share innovative thoughts and information with today's leading experts, bringing the latest knowledge to support your evolutionary process. You're a very important part of this discussion. Email info at missionevolution.org with any comments or questions. We'll address them on the very next show. So take notes, sit back, and enjoy. This hour, we'll be exploring the evolution of medicine, blending the old and new. The face of medicine is ever-changing. As new studies become available, equipment and drugs continue to improve, keeping up with the times. Yet, as anyone who's had a condition difficult to diagnose or treat knows that modern medicine may or may not have all the answers. Nor, with the complexity of the human body, can we really expect it to. In our passion for the latest greatest, we've moved away from the more ancient forms, forms that have been around and viable for generations. In so doing, have we thrown out the baby with the bathwater? Is there value to be had in combining old forms with the new? With us this hour to explore this intriguing possibility is Dr. Sheila Patel. Dr. Patel is a board-certified family physician, certified yoga and meditation instructor, Ayurvedic consultant, and chief medical officer for Chopra Global. For more than a decade, she's practiced full-spectrum and rural family medicine and currently maintains an outpatient family medicine practice in Southern California, where she brings both modern and ancient forms to the care of her patients. Her website, BeWellTherapy.net. Dr. Patel, thank you so much for joining us on Mission Evolution. 
Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Becoming a medical doctor is no small undertaking. What made you decide to go into medicine? Uh, That's a good question. I think I was one of the lucky ones from uh, all of the conversations I've had with people over the years. It can be a little hard to know maybe how you, you know, what kind of career or, you know, job you want to have. But I really knew from a young age that I wanted to do something that would help others clear to me. uh, And this is how I connect a lot of other people to finding their sometimes, you know, their purpose or, you know, a career path. What are, you know, what are the things that really spoke to you when you were younger? Because that was probably something that's really, you know, again, part of why you're here. And for me, it was seeing suffering. So I would say not only helping others, but helping to relieve suffering was something that really drew me toward medicine. I did explore other healthcare professions and, you know, because there are many ways to, you know, help people. But I, I, you know, I was really drawn to medicine and uh, wanted to go into family medicine, in fact, because I wanted to get to know my patients really well. And I was really interested in preventing, as I went along my path, I realized preventing illness was better than waiting till people got sick and then trying to treat it. But I was a little disillusioned uh, with once I got out into practice uh, that we didn't really have great tools for helping to prevent disease as, you know, we can see now, you know, chronic illness is on the rise and, uh, you know, the treatments that we have really focus on treating disease once it's there and yeah, not put it, so much on the, prevention. Putting, putting out the fire, if you will. Absolutely. Yeah. And we're good at that. You know, we're good at putting out fires. Absolutely. You know. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Thank goodness for it. I understand you've practiced full spectrum rural family medicine. What all does that include? Yeah. So when you go into family medicine, you can choose to do only what we call outpatient medicine, where you're in an office, you know, people, you make an appointment, you go to see your doctor, or maybe you have, you know, same day appointment, that's outpatient. So I did that in uh, two rural communities. Once, one was in Alaska, in Southeast Alaska, and then in Wisconsin, which is where I grew up. And, uh, but that also includes because they're, it's, they're usually small towns, and there aren't tons of specialists around. Uh, We would staff the emergency room. We would do inpatient medicine, meaning when one of our own patients had to be admitted, we would take care of them and really see them through the whole, uh, you know, acute care and see them back in the office. And I think that's what gave me this really unique perspective that, okay, we can get people out of, you know, emergency situations, take care of their uh, acute illness while they're in the hospital. But then they would show up in the office again and say, how do I not have to do that anymore. Yeah, I've done that. I don't want to go back. Exactly. And that's when I started my journey, you know, looking for how do I help my patients not in the ER again? So you, as um, uh, full spectrum family medicine, that means you are also doing OBGYN, delivering babies, um, pediatrics as well? Yep. Yep. The whole, you know, kind of like the old fashioned, uh, uh, you know, small town doctor did. Uh, But of course, we had all the modern uh, amenities of you know, being in a hospital setting. Of course, if people were beyond the level of care that we could provide, uh, we would send them to the closest larger hospital. But yeah, we we delivered our own patients and took care of people. Basically, we said birth to death, you know, a lot Mm of end of life care. We would admit patients to long-term care facilities if that's what they needed and were there, yeah, at the end as well. 
Amazing. So what did you learn about human health and medicine by having such an inclusive practice that you may not otherwise have known? That's a really great question uh, because I think it's uh, undervalued as far as having this perspective of full spectrum medicine or being out where you're, you know, managing a lot on your own. Uh, the human, and I can only uh, use these terms now as I reflect back on all of the different things that I came across uh, in that part of my career. The human mind-body system is extremely resilient, extremely resilient. And most of the time, we would support the physiology. We would support with, say, you know, a few medicines, some IV fluids, whatever needed, uh, some care, you know, calming down the patients, you know, and making it as, you know, comfortable of a situation as possible, I think is very, very important. And with the right support, it's really the the system that's healing itself or, or keeping itself alive, right? If if all of theory things are there, and we ju- we provide that support for the system. And it's a beautiful way of looking at it because yeah. you know normally we see intervention rather yeah. than support. Um, you know, make right. make the symptoms go away for sure, make the patient more comfortable, but. But to, to um, actually back off enough and really look at it to support the body to heal itself is a little different way of looking at things in uh, your normal medical setting, isn't it? Absolutely, it is. And I, when people, I see this a lot, you know, I see doctors and in our, in our healthcare system, we've become very super high specialized. And so people get, and that's, it's great, you know, and I love all the specialists I work with and when, when I need them, you know, they're the experts in their field, but they don't always have that perspective of, you know, the whole system. And so they're really just treating, and we're really good at treating their one system. And, you know, it was our job as the primary care physicians to look at the whole being and the whole system. And procedures are necessary at times, absolutely. So I'm definitely about integrating. I'm definitely not about, oh, Western medicine's bad. It's 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 life-saving when we need it. And being really, really smart about when that's needed and when we just need a little support for the system or when we, again, ultimately, now where my sort of career has led me is to how do we actually prevent this in the first place? So, so you were speaking about integrating. Uh, what uh, Help bring us all up to date here and up, up to snuff. What mm-hmm. is integrative and holistic medicine as opposed to our traditional or what we call traditional? So one of the one of the reasons it's difficult and challenging in our current system to is it's very focused on matter and procedures. Again, this is more of a philosophy, uh, procedures and you know medications and surgeries, etc. It's a very material look at the body. Holistic approaches, which a lot of traditional healing systems were body, mind, spirit. So there was a recognition that. Yes, we have a physical body, and sometimes we need physical treatments. The mind has an, an enormous impact on the physiology. And then spirit, which, you know, sometimes is a little harder to define, but but in the easiest terminology could be, you know, that, that nature, that underlying kind of natural intelligence that, as I mentioned, is keeping us alive at, at every moment. I mean, it's impossible for us and our minds to tell every cell in the body how much potassium and sodium to put in and out. And, you know, if we think about all the trillions of things going on, that's, if you will, you know, like a natural intelligence that's sort of 
knows what to do, I suppose. Uh, and so that's that's kind of the holistic approach is looking at not only the whole system as a body, but body, mind, spirit. And then integrative medicine is more, how do we integrate different paradigms into our current system? You know, how do we not just think of it as black and white, this or that, you can only access other healing systems or you can only access Western medicine. How do we integrate that? And, you know, the best of both, both worlds approach. Um, and so there's many different ways to do that. So b backing up just a little bit, you say that uh, the holistic is body, mind, spirit. What about the emotions? Don't they play very strongly in our physical health and well-being? Yeah, absolutely. And so emotions typically are considered in that mind, you know, because our emotions come from thoughts and thoughts occur in the mind. And so, uh, you know, all of our emotions from, a, you know, that mind-body approach are thoughts that are typically associated with a, some sort of story or experience we had that, you know, again, triggers some sort of an emotion or an emotional response. And every emotion we have has a corresponding physiology. But uh, that's all considered, you know, in, the, in that mind layer. It's pretty complex, too, isn't it, with all the hormones and everything that get triggered as a result of different emotions? Absolutely. Yeah, it's, it's a very complex system of which we understand some of it. And I think, again, in our science paradigm and reductionist models where we want to take everything down to like, you know, an equation or, uh, you know, this hormone causes this, it's actually more of an interplay of, you know, our neurological system and our immune system and the messenger molecules floating around in our system all the time. And, um, but we try really hard uh, to understand things in a very reductionist way and it makes it challenging. Yes, if you try to break it down and make it black and white, then you're throwing, again, throwing out the baby with the bathwater, aren't you? Absolutely. And unfortunately, I think, you know, in some, in, in a lot of medicine, that's, that's what's happening. You know, people, and I, you know, I, I talk to a lot of physicians open, but they just don't have the bandwidth, the time, the energy to explore these other things. And a lot are just closed off. You know, they think if it's anything that's from a traditional healing system or outside of our Western medical model, it must be wrong. You know, everything's clumped together in these ways. Yeah. Isn't that, uh, well, probably not so much now, but isn't that traditionally kind of encouraged in medical school to, to um, set those aside because they aren't uh, substantiated? Yeah, I would say, you know, there are, in the medical schools are starting to introduce integrative approaches, meaning let's look at what holistic or, you know, what um, modalities or healing, you know, practices from other traditions have some science behind them and let's use them. The problem with that is you're just then looking at a procedure, say acupuncture, which is very effective for many things, but the studies, because of the way studies are designed, they look at acupuncture for a particular condition, back pain, migraines. If you look at depression or anxiety, which it can help for tremendously, the studies are not there, you know, in, in the way that we study things, um, but definitely it can help. And a lot of traditional modalities were meant to be individualized for each person. And we look at studies based on populations of people. So if the majority of people didn't benefit, we say, oh, it doesn't work. It doesn't well, work. Well, but it did work. 
it did work. Yeah. <laughs> well, I would like to pick up on um, going deeper into this because it's very fascinating. Um, on the other side of a commercial break, but we do have to take a pause. Dr. Patel and I will return shortly, so don't you go away. This is Mission Evolution, and we're coming to you on the wonderful Exxon Broadcast Network, www.xedbn.net. genetics be a reason that no matter what we try, we still can't lose the fat and inches from our problem areas. To learn more, we spoke to Dr. Brian Strand from Sonobello. While some people can eat everything and stay thin, others diet and exercise daily and still pack on fat and inches to their problem areas. It's not your fault. It can be genetics. If you struggle to lose the fat from your tummy, love handles, thighs, and back, you're likely battling your family genetics. The good news is we have an answer. Sonobello uses a remarkable technique called microlaser fat removal. In one comfortable visit, the fat in your hardest places to lose is gone permanently. Stop wrestling with your family genes and lose the fat permanently. And right now, you can save $250. The results are life-changing. Do this for you. Don't wait. Visit sonobello.com slash save. Sonobello.com slash save. Sonobello.com slash save. Texting privacy policy and terms and conditions posted at textplan.us. Texting rules for recurring automated text marketing messages. Message data rates may apply. Reply stop, opt out. The pandemic has been hard on all our kids. New studies show more than one in three children who started school in the pandemic now need intensive reading help. Here's the good news. Your child can be reading in just 30 days, guaranteed, with Hooked on Phonics. My first grader was behind in reading, and this program has made a huge difference. She's now reading above grade level. I use it for my kids' nightly reading for school. We love it, and it's super easy and quick to do. My kid, who just turned four years old and has been using the program since January of this year, can now read. Thank you so much, Hooked on Phonics. Even if your child has been struggling, Hooked on Phonics will teach your child to read in just 30 days, guaranteed. And right now, you can get started for just $1. Text the word KID to 323232 right now. It's fast and easy. Text KID to 323232 and teach your child to read in just 30 days, guaranteed. Text the word KID to 323232. Text KID to 323232. Again, this is Mission Evolution, missionevolution.org. We're dedicated to unification and evolution of consciousness. To our faithful and thoughtful audience, we really value your opinion and would love to hear from you. What do you think about integrative medicine? Email me at info at missionevolution.org and give me your thoughts or questions so we can all share them on the next show. This in from a member of our audience regarding the episode entitled Fairies, Earth Spirits, and Hidden Folk, Fact or Fiction. J.L. states, I know fairies are real. I've seen them. It was so great hearing the shamanic viewpoint on them. Thanks, J.L. Evelyn brought a much deeper understanding to the topic of fairies and earth spirits as it, it was indeed interesting episode. Curious, dear audience? Visit our archives at missionevolution.org. Listen to the episode entitled Fairies, Earth Spirits, Hidden Folk, Fact or Fiction. 
let us know what you think. With us this hour discussing the value of blending modern medicine with ancient practices is Dr. Sheila Patel. Her website, bewelltherapy.net. Dr. Patel, we were just getting into how the studies um, that we use for our Western, our our current medical practices, are ill-suited to uh, studying the ancient practices like acupuncture and this and that. And it occurs to me that those practices were based on, uh, again, the whole person and affect more than just a disease or illness that would be being studied by the um, by the uh, uh, tests and, and uh, mm-hmm. studies. Is mm-hmm. that part of the problem? And if so, how can we move beyond it? Yes, it's absolutely part of the problem. Uh, you know, again, in traditional healing systems, you worked with a practitioner who, and, and even in the roots of Western medicine, uh, it was said, you know, not to treat the disease, but to treat the patient. And in order to do that, you have to understand the patient. You know, in Ayurveda, which is a traditional healing system that was first described in India, but it's very similar to most, heal, you know, traditional healing systems, there are different mind-body types. And understanding the mind-body type of the person who's sitting in front of you, understanding their, their, again, what's going on in their emotions and their you know, home situation, understand, getting a really good history of the diet that they're eating and their, their daily routine, their lifestyle, all of this was based on you know, an individual and giving them individual recommendations. And your toolkit is huge. And you know, a, a good practitioner and a person who's given the knowledge, which is, you know, again, at this point in my career, what I'm trying to do is help people become more self-aware so they can make the right choices for themselves. That was the basis of treatment. And, you know, nowadays there are researchers who are looking at these, what's called N of one. How do we create studies around, you know, an N of one, meaning one study subject, you know, normally they say how many people were in the study if there weren't you know, more than a certain number, a hundred or a thousand, then we don't really know if that's good study. There, you know, we're trying to figure out how do you how to you use yourself as your subject and compare just you and how with how a treatment modality works for you. And there's also research going on in whole systems medicine because again, even in Chinese medicine in Ayurveda, you didn't only use one thing. You didn't only do acupuncture. You were also giving herbs. You were making dietary recommendations. In Ayurveda, we also use food as medicine, maybe some Ayurvedic massage, tell, getting people aligned with their circadian rhythms. You know, what, what time you go to bed, what time you wake up, what time you eat your biggest meal. It's very, and now, you know, science is starting to validate these things. Um, and so, you know, that's part of the challenge is, you, you have to treat the individual and our science just isn't designed to look at that. So it's really easy to say, oh, you know, there's no data to support that. Um, and it's yeah, hard to but, get the data, too, it looks like. Yeah. Just basically yeah. coming, you know, we're trying to fit a square peg into a round hole, studying exactly. the, the old ancient forms with the modern techniques. Exactly. Um, so yeah. let's back up just a little bit. You've been talking mm-hmm. about Ayurveda. Would mm-hmm. you please tell us what it is and where it originated? Yeah, absolutely. Um, Ayurveda, it's spelled for people who don't know A-Y-U-R, Ayur, and then Veda, V-E-D-A. So the, the word itself actually means the science of life. And it, w- it was first described in India or in the, on the Indian subcontinent um, thousands of years ago. People don't really even know when it first started. Uh, and it was an oral tradition, knowledge that was passed on from person to person. And then eventually 
you know, several thousand years ago was written down into these big texts. And, and that's what, you know, Ayurvedic physicians would learn from these texts and symposia. And, you know, they shared knowledge, they shared observations, they looked at nature to, uh, you know, modify treatment. How does nature work? Because we're part of nature. We function by all the same, you know, physical and chemical laws. And so, uh, you know, it was it was rooted in in that part of the world. But because the principles, the foundational principles are based on nature and how that functions in a in a human being, um, you can apply the principles anywhere on the planet and across time because our physiology functions the same way it always has. And, you know, the foods may be different. The spices you use may be different. You know, even the words may be different nowadays, but it's just as applicable as ever. And I find... I'm sorry, go ahead. You find? Yeah, no, and I find, uh, because one of the foundational principles in Ayurveda is that it's not only about preventing disease, but it's about creating health. How do we thrive? How do we give ourselves what we need every day, eliminate as much as possible that's getting in the way of that natural healing that I talked about in the beginning that I realized is actually what's keeping us alive? Uh, You know, how do we design a lifestyle that creates health on a daily basis. And that's not something you learn in, in Western medicine. <laughs> no, no. Um, so the you were talking about the nature. One of the things that, that I think is pretty hard to miss, particularly if you live out like I do, mm-hmm. is that different seasons support different plants in different ways. Okay. Absolutely. So we can have a rainy season, we'll have all sorts of blooming cactus, or we can have a, you know, how it goes. Yeah. Is this taken in account in the Ayurvedic approach with the physical body? A hundred percent. Yes. In fact, the fact that we would do the same thing every day, all year, no matter of what's going on around us is a recipe for disease, you know? (laughs) So in Ayurveda, it's all about aligning ourselves with nature. What's happening outside is happening within us. So these are all basic principles in Ayurveda. You know, when it's heavy and cold and wet outside, we feel heavy and cold and wet. You know, when it's dry and hot outside, we feel dry and hot. And, And it is people's life experience, right? We know that when we say it in a simple way like that, and so when we teach Ayurveda, because, you know, my role now is as chief medical officer at, at uh, Chopra Global, which is kind of dedicated to health and well-being and, you know, using the foundational principles of Ayurveda meditation and yoga. Uh, when when we describe these things in a very simple way, people, oh, yeah, that, that's why I feel that way in the summer. So why would I keep eating things that I eat in the wintertime, you know, I should be um, seasonally eating. Uh, Even medicines and herbs were uh, cultivated seasonally based on when it was best to harvest them, etc. So the whole system revolves around that. And the beauty of that is when we were before we were synthesizing all of our drugs, when we were Mm -hmm. coming from herbs and this and that, they Mm -hmm. were in alignment with what nature was doing, because they were growing in that season, right? Right, absolutely. Yeah. So, you know, there's a whole science around Ayurvedic nutrition. And so again, it's whatever's growing in your area seasonally is going to be best for you, you know, locally, especially as local and as seasonal as possible. Um, And there's a physiology to that. There are people that look at that are studying the microbiome, you know, that's kind of the um, new uh, blooming science now at how important gut health is. And bacteria can, um, not only do they respond to what we eat, but they're also responding to signals from the environment, including climate. So there are people studying and there's some, you know, 
preliminary studies showing that our microbiome changes season to season. And so if we want to have the best health, we should give our feed them what's growing locally and seasonally. Amazing. So, you know, mm-hmm. all of this, though, takes us back to being personally aware so you can pick up when the imbalances are starting and say, oh, that's why I feel this way and make the exactly. correction. And yet mm-hmm. most of us in this culture seem to have really be disassociated from our <laughs> physical body and not very body aware. Have you noticed that? And how do you recommend a person starts to turn that around? A hundred percent. I think we live in our in our in our minds way too much, and not in our bodies. Uh, you know, and our minds are very conditioned, right? Our, you know, it's what our parents told us, it's what our teachers told us, it's what society tells us, and then we start to internalize those messages. But our body, and you know, we people have written books about this, and you hear this. You know, the body won't lie to you. If it's sending you a signal, uh, it's going to send you a signal that will tell you what it needs, but we have to properly be listening to it. So that's where a lot of the practices that I teach people come into play. You know, meditation, especially yoga, uh, builds that mind-body connection, that interoception, especially yoga, when you are practicing it mindfully. When you start trying to reconnect that, make that mind-body mm-hmm. connection come back online, um, isn't there also trauma um, stored in the body that then you have to address? Absolutely, yeah. And so that's why looking at, you know, the healing process from a mind-body-spirit approach is is 100% necessary when you're going along this path of, of natural healing because we do store trauma and old stories and emotions that we haven't completely processed. Uh, We store them in the body and in an energy, you know, as an energetic, emotional uh, expression, it can come out as we're, you know, going down a healing path. And so how much much does that play into illness as well? That that stored frequency that's um, from the past and a stored story that's from the past. Yeah, you know, it, it actually cannot even it can't be separated at all. I mean, we can tell ourselves, you know, that we've, that those old stories aren't affecting us. But if we haven't properly, as we say, digested it, you know, like, uh, you know, taken that experience and broken it down into pieces, whether it's energetic or intellectually, and then learned from it, right, that's holding on to anything we can learn from the experience and letting go of the rest of it, like eliminating it, just like we do with food that's not serving us. Um, That's necessary, uh, you know, to be actually physiologically healthy. So does the the gratitude piece, the absorption of the lessons play in here? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, You know, again, from a mind, body, spirit approach, when we understand that we're really just our, our ground state, let's say, is, you know, happiness and health, but our life experiences start to cover that up and get in the way. So in order to reconnect back to that health and that, you know, consciousness really, which creates health, we have to, you know, we'll go through all these different layers. And so um, it's just, you know, it's an important part of the healing process that can't bypass. (laughs) (laughs) Do these old stored unprocessed, places in our body, um, impact our resilience over time. Yes. And that's where there's a lot of studies going on right now on like breathing, which is a major part of yoga practice is the pranayama it's called or breathing techniques. And now they can be taught 
in, you know, not in necessarily a yoga, yogic perspective, you know, you can learn all kinds of breathing techniques. It calms down the nervous system, helps to process and move through some of that stored emotion without actually having to do it intellectually. You can do it through what's called the energy body. So you're moving that energy through your breath and you're literally like pushing out all of this stored energy um, and, you know, bringing in a sense of wholeness uh, to the system. And the effects of that are a calmer nervous system. So people sleep better, their emotions are more calm, there are parts of the brain that are more active. Again, the parts, the places where we connect to our true self, where we feel gratitude, connection, joy, bliss, you know, love. Uh, and, but it's actually when you understand it correctly, it's those uh, other things are getting in the way of us connecting to that, which we really are, which is, you know, as you mentioned, gratitude, compassion, love. And um, where our yeah. resilience lies. <laughs> and where the resilience lies, exactly, well, exactly. The last 15 minutes have flown, but it's actually time for another quick pause. <laughs> Dr. Patel and I will return to our discussion shortly. So you stay right there. This is Mission Evolution coming to you on the Exxon Broadcast Network, www.xzbn.net. This is Mission Evolution. Did you know our entire Leading Edge information-packed past episode collection is available to listen or download with our compliments? Visit our archives at www.missionevolution.org for our ever-growing selection of guests and topics. To find out more about me, Wilda Wiecka, and the other things I offer, visit www.findyourpathhome.com. Our guest this hour is Dr. Sheila Patel. We're speaking about the medical application of ancient and modern practices. Her website, BeWellTherapy.net. Dr. Patel, we were talking a bit about, um, you had opened up and then we didn't go into it, Mm -hmm. the um, different mind-body types of Ayurveda. Would you briefly describe those for us so we can get a feel for it? Yeah, uh, I'd love to. It's just one of those very unique things that I learned in Ayurveda that's helped me tremendously, not just personally for my own health, but when I see patients and I can recognize certain patterns express, then I can zone in on what's the best recommendations for them. And this is something people can learn to be aware of in themselves. So they're called, these mind-body types are called doshas. That's just the Sanskrit name for these different expressions of nature. And I always like to tell people, but sounding too like woo-woo, <laughs> is that they're just words that are describing patterns of nature. So it's just like saying succulent, you know. So we all know what that means. There, there are certain types of plants that will have thicker leaves. They need a little less water than other plants. You know, there, there are things you can predict about it based on, you know, the, the classification. So for people, and now this is being there's a whole field of research called Iyer genomics where they're looking at gene and genetic tendencies in people. 
certain little mutations people may have that give them tendencies of you know to go a certain way that are really validating and that's what you'd expect what we see is just an expression of you know dna and nature um you know in a in a physical form so there's three different main mind body types and they're called vata pitta and kapha and what all those terms just mean again qualities of nature that tend to you know come together as a pattern so vata types we say are air and space and again these terms once you realize they're just words that describe qualities of nature they're the people that are if you think about air and space it's light it's dry it's cold so these are people that are very light and thin in the body naturally you know they don't you see them they don't have to try they're just very thin and light they're light boned they move around a lot like the air they typically are very cold all the time and uh, you know have a tendency to be dry and there's certain health conditions that i can they're going to have they're going to be light sleepers they're going to be sensitive to things whether it's foods or medications or energy like people's energy in the room around them it's because you know their their biofield if you will their their energy is very open like air and space constipation or dryness you know in their gi tract the second type is pitta and that's fire so the fiery types this is what we might consider type a's they have very focused like if you think about light or fire really focused it's very sharp it's intense it's hot right and so these are people that are very focused and direct in their speech in the way they think about things they um make you know really it's easier for them to make decisions find solutions in the body they're a little bit more medium build so more muscular they have a really good digestive system you know they can eat anything they want and they digest it really well uh and they uh, might again be more be more prone to inflammation because that's sort of this expression of heat in the body and it can be inflammation in any of the organs then the last type is kapha which is earth and water so if you think about earth and water it's heavier more solid cool um slower so these are people that um their body type is more sort of sturdy you know bigger boned or you know however we, we say but in health they're probably going to be a heavier weight than like the vata types um they they're very methodical in how they think about things their minds are very organized and calm you know they they're they're not moving all over the place in their thoughts and physically they're a little slower maybe harder to get moving uh but once they do they have a lot of stamina they're very strong and so and again we can predict certain health conditions that they may have like congestion fluid retention maybe more prone to gaining weight um in some of the metabolic disorders that we see so, so you, that's a you generalization said, but yeah that's i think a lot of people will identify with some of those types absolutely so you as a medical doctor uh when you're and you're combining these practices a patient walks in for the first time do you do you kind of scan them and get a feel for which of the uh three metabolic types they are and then kind of jot that down and uh incorporate that into your diagnosis and treatment plan uh absolutely uh and it depends on the setting so i do see patients in a regular medical setting and so i'm obviously not putting as their assessment and diagnosis a vata imbalance but in my mind i know that's what it is and so 
we have terms for that in medicine, irritable bowel syndrome, you know, constipation type or insomnia or anxiety or whatever we want to label it. From an Ayurvedic perspective, it's vata imbalance. They're ungrounded. They're too dry. They're moving around too much. They need to calm the nervous system, you know. So then when I talk to the person, I know they're going to do better if they just cook their food. They add certain herbs and spices and a little bit more oil, healthy oils, and warm cooked foods. Because in Ayurveda, opposites balance. We know that when we're cold, we add heat. When we're hot, you know, we want cool. So when something's dry and light, we add moisture, oil, and, you know, little heavier foods. And so, uh, you know, a lot of people in the, med- in the medical setting, I don't use all any of the Ayurvedic terms. I just say, just go home and try cooking your food, eat it warm, add these healthy oils and some of these herbs and spices. And they come back and they're like, oh, my gosh, I feel so much better. You know, I don't have as much gas and bloating and, you know, all of the other things. So, yeah, it helps. So when 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 a person comes to um, a physician, they're hoping that you'll use all of your skill set to help them mm-hmm. out. So it's not like you're doing anything without permission. You're just using the more common terms. Exactly. Yeah, that's all it is. It's just using different words to describe, you know, what's going on. So, yeah, I mean, there, it's nothing like mysterious. And in fact, to the right person, I'll say, have you heard of Ayurveda? You know, you should look this up because I think you'll find a lot of other tools because again, in the regular medical setting, we have what, you know, 10 to 20 minutes, if you're lucky with a patient. So I'll send them to websites, you know, again, to the Chopra website, or um, different books, you know, that will guide them toward these mind body types, um, where they can learn more about those things. And, you know, we had a Chopra center here in Carlsbad, where I live, um, although it's closed now, but in that setting, we would see people there. It was, you know, we were doing mind-body consultations, and so we they were learning about all of the. But we would tell them, in those terms, this is representative of a pitta right. imbalance. So what you so need people, to do is, yeah, pe- so. people coming there knew what that they were looking for something uh, what we would call alternative, and so you could exactly. be more direct with it. Exactly. You know, what what works for one individual, as we know, or as we're now finding, may not work for the wet next, and yet. You know, exactly. Western or the Western medicine we're practicing now is diagnosis based. In other words, you you glom all these symptoms together, find the diagnosis that closestly matches the person's mm-hmm. symptoms. But mm-hmm. that's not really treating the individual. Can we use right. the Ayurvedic approach to create more personalized health care? Yes, absolutely. Um, that's you know the whole foundation of Ayurveda is is again treating the person. And so understanding their mind body type will absolutely impact, you know, what, you know, again, and in Ayurveda, all the tools are available. It's the biggest toolbox I can find, Um, you know, maybe the aromatherapy that you recommend to help them sleep, maybe the oils they put on their skin will be different. The foods for sure will be different based on their what mind body type you need to balance, Um, you know, the music they listen to, you know, so many different things, it's 100% personalized. And, you know, I think in the integrative world and a lot of uh, modern, you know, theories and medicine are going to personalization. We're looking more at genes. uh, But the interesting thing is two people can have very similar genes, but how they express themselves may be very different. And the expression of the genes is what we see as these mind-body types. And so... uh, getting there we're, we're understanding that one size doesn't fit all but being only restricted to looking at genes and certain gene mutations is, is still a little bit limited in my opinion 
Oh, so if if these uh, body types are the expression of the genes versus the genes themselves, mm-hmm. we're talking epigenetics. Exactly. Can you indeed change um, your uh, body type? So you can't change your body. You're, you're, what you're born with, you're born with. So I'm a kapha, so I'll always be a kapha. What that means, though, is my tendencies will always be a certain way. Because we're impacted by our environment, by the weather outside, by the choices I've been making, if I've been traveling a lot, if I haven't been sleeping well, if I'm eating too many light, dry foods at the wrong time you know, of year, any of those mind-body types can got, get out of balance within me because we all all of them. That's another important point. Um, but my tendencies will always be the same. So that's kind of, again, the genes you have are the genes you have. The dosha you're born as, you know, I tell people it's like an oak tree is always an oak tree. It doesn't all of a sudden turn into an apple tree. <laughs> but how it looks season to season, day to day can change, you know, and how, whether it's dry or whether it's dropping its leaves or, you know, etc. We have all these energies within us. It's just that most of us have one or two that are more prominent than the others. Gotcha. And so if, uh, yeah, if uh, our experiences will, and our choices that we make and our lifestyle will impact what's out of balance. And that's again, what an Ayurvedic practitioner is looking at as well. So one of the things that we really suffer from in this society, particularly females, but men as well, is body image and what advertising mm-hmm. has done to what we think we should look like. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of diametrically opposed to two out of three of the body types that you just described. Right. Can right. our judgment of the way we look impact our physical balance based on our body type? Like we're rejecting our body type. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, absolutely. Because again, this is where the mind plays in, right? If we're feeling stress or we're feeling, uh, you know, any kind of shame or, you know, any any of those emotions have a physiology and it can be um, a stress physiology, right? So we're going to feel stressed and stress will create inflammation, you know, and so that's, it's all connected, Yeah, so we want to, and this is where understanding your dosha and honoring your dosha is very important. I think people um, are, you know, they learn to really honor the expression of nature that they are. And, um, you know, it it shifts how you think about yourself. Probably shifts how you express it as well, rather than trying to hide it. Mm -hmm. Um, Does, um, you started to say, I, I thought I understood you start to say that we can be a blend of these. It's not just this one or that one. Is that, is that, did I hear you right? Uh, we have all the doshas within us. Yes. And, and one or two are typically predominant. Yeah. So, so we can can access any of Mm -hmm. them to counterbalance if we're out of balance in the other one. Exactly. Yep. So how do we make that? We're about out of time, but how do we access that? (laughs) Um, well, again, there there are questionnaires and there are different things that you can, you know, think about, you know, questions you ask yourself to assess what are the qualities that I'm experiencing right now? Am I having too much of some and not enough of the other? And then you choose, you know, kind of to bring in the opposite. So, again, this is a whole system that, you know, people need to be educated on, but it's very user friendly. It sounds pretty fascinating, really. Um, and uh, but your vision of bringing that into Western medicine is going to uh, change a few things out there. Yeah, well, I hope so. You know, more and more people, it's kind of grassroots. You know, people are seeking 
healing elsewhere. They're going, you know, and so I find a lot more people are going to Ayurveda to learn to other systems of medicine, um, you know, again, yoga and, uh, you know, all of these things. It's not just physical exercise, but we can actually heal. Um, and people are seeking this knowledge out. That's wonderful. Well, like I promised, it's time for another commercial break. <laughs> uh, but Dr. Patel and I will be back shortly to continue this amazing discussion. So don't you go away. This is Mission Evolution coming to you on the Exxon Broadcast Network, www.xzbn.net. is Mission Evolution, bringing together gifted people of service to the world. I love to hear from our audience. Your thoughts are very important to me. To suggest a topic or guest that you think would be of interest, email us, info at missionevolution.org. I'm sure we'll all enjoy them. To find out more about me, Gwilda Wiecka, my school, and the other evolutionary tools I offer, visit www.findyourpathhome.com. This hour, we're sharing thoughts with Dr. Sheila Patel. Her website, BeWellTherapy.net. Dr. Patel, one thing that um, I've noticed, um, of course, I love the medical field, so um, (laughs) I've kind of been following it. And one of the things I've noticed over the years is at at first it was the the doctor, the medical doctor, was the end-all, know-all, be-all. And that put an awful lot of stress on our our doctors. Mm -hmm. And um, then it became when they, when people started feeling like, well, this medical system was letting them down, then there was a lot of, um, oh, um, dissing on the the medicine and going back to um, the old ways in exclusion of all this wonderful things that, that our medical system does have to offer and a lot of polarization. What can you say about that? And is it swinging back into a more balanced place at this time? Uh, it's a really great point. And I, 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 you know, I live in that world too, where I'm sometimes trying to bring people more toward the middle uh, because I do see people who completely reject Western medicine, say all medicine is bad. It's all poison, whatever, you know, like a lot of inflammatory sort of language and, and, and yet their blood pressure is completely out of control. And of course I work in the, I'm, I'm all a, I'm a proponent for meditation and there are great studies on yoga and meditation to lower blood pressure and foods. And I'll certainly work with someone, but at some point for whatever reason, genetics or, you know, whatever we want to say, something's interfering or it's just not enough. And so then they are really at risk of having a serious health condition if they don't take medication. So I try to bring and bring sometimes bring people to the middle and say, you know, medicine is also, you know, these are great tools for us as long as we're being smart about how we use them. And there are some people who need to take some medication and that's okay. Right. And also when you understand whole systems, you say, and I bring confidence to people who 
end up needing to medication, I say, hey, let's start you on this blood pressure pill. And because we know it might cause some dryness, you know, say it's a water pill or whatever, let, you know, make sure you're hydrating more, make sure you get more, you know, oils in your diet or, you know, et cetera. We're keeping that in balance. Or if we know a certain medication, you know, can, you know, cause some sleep issues, then I work on them to balance their sleep. So it's all about using tools with knowledge, right? If, as long as we know how to use them, then that can be very helpful. Is there also an approach where, um, okay, this person's blood pressure is off the charts, they're running the risk of a stroke, um, mm-hmm. the, this is breaking down, that's breaking down, let's mm-hmm. jump in with the firefighters, please, okay, <laughs> because because that's where we are, uh, yes. but then slowly but surely also treating with alternatives to wean them off of the heavier medication, is that a, a possibility? Yes, absolutely it is, and again, that's sometimes a lot of what I see people uh, especially if they're new to sort of natural healing, et cetera, they, they end up in the medical system. It's one medicine after another, after another, seeing all the specialists, nobody can really heal them. So their disease process ends up getting to the point where, you know, they need to be on some strong medications. And then that's when sometimes I would see them. And there's absolutely no contraindication to, you know, being on meds. And then let's work on your lifestyle. Let's figure out how you got here. Let's look for the root cause. And then once you start adjusting that, let's try what your physiology does over time. You know, I always tell people it might take a little time, but I've had many, many patients, they've weaned off of, you know, any number of medications once you're really treating the root cause. And uh, it's possible, you know, and I always tell people everything's possible. We don't always know if, you know, what's, possible for you, but let's try this. And um, it's often very successful. So that can definitely be an approach if someone's, if the physiology has gotten so off track, you need, you need medication to bring, you know, to bring Bring it down. But you're not necessarily stuck there. Exactly. Exactly. So you're the, you're the clinical, you're on the clinical research team for the Chopra Foundation. Mm -hmm. What do you research there? Well, we've done several studies uh, on you know, these mind-body practices, and many, many people have, you know, there's thousands of studies now. So we did some studies at one of our meditation retreats, where we actually looked at gene expression, just in five days before people started the retreat, after they started, uh, and saw, again, this this shift in gene expression that happens when you practice these mind-body practices. And it can be any number of, you know, modalities that stimulate this relaxation response that we have in the body. It's really kind of taking us back to our healing response. And um, so the gene expression changes, it moves us away from chronic disease, chronic inflammation, and act and turns on or, you know, turns up the genes that have to do with health and longevity, including, you know, anti-aging and, you know, energy production in the mitochondria and, you know, better insulin sensitivity. And, you know, again, we're moving toward natural healing. So uh, you're, you're telling yeah. me that these um, practices, meditation, mm-hmm. breathing, can actually impact uh, genetically and that's provable? Yes, absolutely. There are many, many studies on the genetic, epigenetic, as you mentioned, epigenetic effects. You know, again, it's like our dosha doesn't change. So our genes don't change. But I always explain it to people. It's like dimmer switches on a light. You know, you can turn it up or you can turn it down. 
the switch is still there, right? And so 95% of diseases are, you know, based on the information we're feeding our DNA. And, you know, it's just responding to our choices. When we're con- chronically in stress mode and we're eating anti or eating inflammatory foods and, you know, we're, li- we're not sleeping well, we're staying up all night and, you know, living a very stressful lifestyle, the genes respond to that by pumping out cortisol and, you know, all these adrenals make more adrenaline, epinephrine, norepinephrine, and they have a a very specific effect on the physiology. And when we choose practices like yoga, breathing, meditation, healthy eating, you know, aligning with our circadian rhythm, etc., then our genes say, oh, I see, I'm going to I'm going to turn those genes down because I don't need those to be active right now. And I'm going to turn up the genes that are more for longevity. So, so yeah, so basically, it's a very active process. So the you're working with intention here, aren't you? The, the person's mm-hmm. intention. So the person's Absolutely. intention impacts their epigenetics. Mm-hmm. Um, and these practices that you're advocating, the meditation and breathing and various things, are a tool to help you focus your intention Yes, exactly. And so intention is all part of it. You know, when we set intentions, then it'll start to impact our actions and our behaviors. And then visualization and all of those things are nothing but, you know, setting intentions and creating, planting them in this space of potential, you know, this consciousness, this natural field, whatever people want to call it, that that can impact our nervous system, our DNA, you know, our, you know, how the body functions. And there's some really great studies, you know, Be Well Therapy is an organization, I'm on the board. Um, and there are many, many studies on yoga for cancer recovery. And just practicing yoga can reduce inflammatory markers in the blood. It can lead to improved quality of life, um, you know, not to mention help with digestive issues and many other things. And so these are powerful practices, you know, to have in your life. Um, and they impact our physiology tremendously. How do you see medicine evolving through combining these ancient practices that we've been talking about with modern medicine? Uh, you know, I think it's been a slow process, but I definitely see improvements. Of course, we need the science because the more science to practices, the more likely physicians are to recommend them. However, because of what we are have talked about already, I don't think we're ever going to have science the way reduction of science the way some people want it for some of these practices. So we kind of have to wait for these other research me- you know methods to evolve. And I think just experience, you know, again, people are seeking these things out. Uh, I wish insurance companies paid for more of these things uh, because unfortunately people have to pay out of pocket to access some of these modalities um, that's starting to change, like with acupuncture and certain types of massage, say after breast, you know, after certain types of cancer surgeries, but it should be open to everyone, you know, because these practices keep us healthy. And in the long run, that's what's going to, you know, not only keep people healthy, but save the system money. So I see it as twofold. It'll be some research, but it'll also be demand. You know, patients are going to start to say, you know, hey, I, I I don't want to treat myself that way. And I want to see, you know, and they're going to ask their physicians to start <laughs> learning about these things. And medical schools are starting 
to teach some of these things. They have integrative medicine rotations, et cetera, but um, it's, it's slower than I would like. <laughs> well, it's a bit of a, a dinosaur system that's been put in place a long time ago and change happens slow with a dinosaur, right? <laughs> it certainly does. <laughs> so Dr. Patel, what is your mission? You know, my mission, it goes back to kind of, I think what I always knew, like I want to help relieve human suffering. And I, my path to do that has been, because there are many paths to doing that. My path has been through promoting health and well-being by reconnecting people to their, to their true nature, which is health and healing. And that's why Ayurveda, I'm so passionate about it because consciousness-based healing approach. It's body, mind, spirit. So it acknowledges we have a physical body and that we have a mind and emotions. But ultimately, who we are is is awareness, consciousness, you know, and when we allow that to flow through us without all the, you know, toxicity and, and conditioning, then um, we really thrive, you know. And so at this point in my life, you know, again, I, I've transitioned to really wanting to teach people how to make the best choices for themselves through the principles of Ayurveda, but, you know, any of the modalities that are out there and really help people, you know, thrive and, and relieve suffering. And so, yeah. So in closing, what would you like to share with Mission Evolution's worldwide audience? I would say there are so many different healing tools out there that don't be limited, you know, by any of them. And I'm open to all of it. I know people that study Peruvian medicine and Chinese medicine and Ayurvedic medicine and Native American type. What, you know, meditate, I would say meditate, listen to your inner voice, what calls you and explore that. You know, there are people that you can access probably even in your, even if you live in a small community, you'd be surprised. Um, Try different modalities and see what resonates with you and talk about it with your physicians. Because what I see is so many physicians, they're just like, no, here, if you don't take this medicine, I can't help you. And they never see the person again. And this is a person who likely, because I've seen them, they heal themselves through all these other methods. And that other, that physician never hears back about it, you know, so they don't, you know, and physicians are busy. I feel, you know, I'm, I understand understand. But talk about it with your physicians, you know, let let them know what you think worked for you. And the proof will be in the pudding, you know, as you heal, it'll help the system to change. And, uh, you know, be in alignment with how you, you know, how you want to heal yourself. Um, beautiful, and, beautiful yeah, stated. Yeah. <laughs> Unfortunately, though, we are out of time. Dr. Patel, yeah. thank you so much for coming on the show. No problem. Thank you so much for having me. Our guest this hour has been Dr. Sheila Patel, board-certified family physician, certified yoga and meditation instructor, Ayurvedic consultant, and chief medical officer for Chopra Global. Her website, bewelltherapy.net. Remember, our entire information-packed past episode collection is available for listen or download free of charge. Visit our archives at www.missionevolute.org for our ever-growing selection of guests and topics. This has been Mission Evolution with Gwilda Wiecka, coming to you on the Exxon Broadcast Network, www.xzbn.net. Be sure to join us next time as this mission continues, bringing information, resources, and support to an evolving world.